position to get things going. Sensational stop by Sparty. Interception by Angelo Gross. First charges for Kenneth Walker. And a breakaway down on the far sideline. And Kenneth Walker will take it to the house. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Now for your host, Nathan Stearns. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, behind the host mic. As always, we have Aiden Champion and our friend Zach Serdant couldn't be with us today. He's got class. We had to move this episode airing date back a day because my friend Luke Sloan and I went to the Western Michigan game yesterday against Central Michigan left in the third quarter, and that was probably a good thing because Central Michigan ran Western off the mat. Aiden, how are we doing today? Good. It's... It's time for November football, one of the best times of the year. When it's so cold and so icy and every time, like I didn't wear a blazer over here because I'm a naturally insulated like blubber walrus, but I was cold on the walk over here. I I parked at Comarts and I'm like, as I'm driving from my apartment over to Comarts, I'm like, wait, where's my coat? Did I? No. Oh, I forgot my coat. All right. We're already off to a great start. Yeah. We apologize for our week uh absence we were gone last week had mid-fall break monday and tuesday and didn't come back until wednesday night so wanted to take a couple days off the bye week came at a good time michigan state obviously used the bye week well considering now that they're eight no and are 37 and beat michigan 37 to 33 number six michigan at the time excuse me that's despite cade mcnamara throwing for nearly 400 yards the first time that mcnamara in his career at michigan has thrown for over 300 yards over 350 yards and over 380 yards michigan state now number three in the college football playoff rankings they control their own destiny with perhaps the rose bowl the most likely scenario if you're still going off the presumption that they'll have a hard time going down to Columbus in a couple weeks and knocking off Ohio State, who's currently number five in the playoff rankings. I have a story for you, because I don't think I told you about this. Okay. So, because we left right after the game because I wanted to get back to my apartment and, you know, begin certain festivities. And and it's okay, I can admit it, I'm 22 years old, nothing to hide. Come get me. <laughs> the fed, The feds can't get me. They have no... They have no jurisdiction over here. Well, I guess they do because of the feds. But anyway, Michigan Student Radio brings two writers and two broadcasters, but the writers kind of double as spotters, and I guess they were down with us. And they switch, like, at halftime. So they had two separate broadcasting duos, and I, it was a weird thing. They're like, yeah, we're kind of writers, but we're also spotters. And we also doubled as broadcasters in the second half. It's like, what? But... I have never seen, after every three- or four-yard Blake Quorum run, they started dancing around in circles and going, you little brother. And then I'm like, oh, my. Like, you, you were with us when the Rucker student, student radio was banned. These guys were worse, like exponentially worse, just screaming. And then there was an event staff guy who was up there on the photo deck to make sure that no uncredentialed media got to level six. And he's over there with them for, like, the majority of the game, egging them on. It was just a psychotic environment. It, it was it was absolutely electric. And then, I don't know if I told you this, too, but, like, after the game ends, we're on the photo deck. 
which again is level six. So it's not level eight, but it's still high enough where you can see like the East Lansing skyscape and you can see the entire city. You can see Grand River. You can see Michigan Avenue. And it's soon the minute that MSU pulls off that win, I just see four distinct plumes of black smoke, like one from Cedar Village, like one from this one. From, there's like a fiery and Luke has the picture on our thing. But like I get back. And, you know, we're excited. We're happy. You know, I change out of my outfit and, you know, I'm getting ready to rock and roll and relax for a bit because that game was so just emotionally draining and invigorating at the exact same time. My friend Steven, who we saw last night and came down over the weekend, went to high school with, goes to Western Michigan, and then all of a sudden he goes, smells like something's burning. Like, what do you mean something's burning? Like, you know, and and then I start looking over at the oven. I'm like, okay, nothing's on. Are we having like a gas leak or something? Is the apartment about to blow up? And we go outside to our deck. We have a Luke, where Luke's room is, there's like a screen door and then there's a deck that opens up where you can look over Beale Street and it's kind of a nice view. And there's just like 50 people gathered around, like lighting a couch on fire, like right, right in the middle of the road. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy I got back five minutes ago. And then, of course, I'm running down there in my dress socks and my shirt and or in like a pair of holy old shorts. And then, of course, I see four other guys that live in, like, the frat house behind us, just carrying, like, another couch, throwing it, whatever. I threw a bottle cap into the thing, so I feel like I contributed at least in some compassion. So for the last 20 minutes, you know, it went on for probably 20 minutes before the fire marshals eventually came and kind of shut the whole thing down, but it was electric. We burned things at Michigan State. Some schools have their own things, whether Western had... Uh, and their football stands, they bring giant trash bags and just start chucking them at random people. Like, or, or like giant rolls of toilet paper. And like every time there's a Central Michigan fan, they just start pelting with them. But we were at the game last night and there was like three guys behind me. And then one of their friends was like, dude, hit me in the head with your metal water bottle. And then this guy just like clubs him on the side of the head with his metal water bottle. And goes, dude, that hurts so much. My head is ringing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be one of those nights. But the entire state of Michigan, obviously alive with football. Football fever is at an all-time high here. Obviously, Nowhere higher than in the East Lansing area. Mel Tucker now 2-0 against Jim Harbaugh. Kenneth Walker, 197 rushing yards, five scores. That is the highest mark that any team has ever run against. No team has ever run for five touchdowns against Michigan in one singular game. And Michigan's been playing football a long time and has been has played a lot of very, very good opponents, especially toward the earlier tenure of their football existence in the 18 and 1900s. Michigan State now has won 10 out of the past 15 meetings. Spartans were down by 16 midway through the third, but found a way to scratch and claw, get the touchdown. You have a two-point conversion catch by Trey Mosley. Then Kenneth Walker has another rushing touchdown, and then Michigan State ties the game up on the fade route that Jaden Reed was able to hold on to. What a comeback, Aiden. Like, what an absolute comeback. I mean, that's... I know we're now on Thursday and it's now all on Purdue, but this is the first time we've really had the opportunity to go on the air and talk about this. You know, it was a football beat and that was, that was something else. Yeah. Um, in general, that's all you could want from a rivalry game is, is what we were able to witness on Saturday. And, you know, each team brought out the best uh, in its opponent. Obviously, it wasn't the cleanest game on both sides, but both, I mean, 
neither team played poorly. Um, and that was the great thing about it. It was just a traditional top 10 battle and a lot on the line. And the comeback just made it even sweeter for, for Michigan State. It was heck of a game to cover, and I know I will always remember it. Well, and as you said, that's not just the traditional Michigan-Michigan State rivalry banter game, the traditional, you know, little brother or, you know, Michigan State fans saying how Michigan's entitled this, that, and the other. You had game day there. You had bar stool. You know, I have to give them a shout-out over camped out over in Cedar Village. You had Fox's game day there. So you had the entire college football world squarely centered and looking at your game and whoever won that game was on a crash course to either go to the college football playoff or go to the Rose Bowl. And the loser of that game, a la Michigan's either looking at the Peach Bowl or the Citrus Bowl. And the Spartans, despite getting thoroughly outplayed for large swaths of that game, especially in the first quarter and especially in the third quarter, the first half of the third quarter, at least, they found a way to win. And then what a better story is Michigan's driving the final time and Charles Brantley, the freshman quarterback with one of the best interceptions I've ever seen, to basically rip the ball out of Luke Schoonmaker's hands, the Michigan reserve tight end, and seal that win. Game had to end like that. Like, that was just the perfect storybook ending. Like, if you're going to think for a way for that to end. Especially considering the fact that Brantley, after playing a lot the first couple of weeks of the year, has really been sidelined a little bit with the emergence of Marquis Lowry. Yeah, I was really happy for Brantley. Uh, especially Tuesday uh, when I attended the player availability. And uh, he, got a, he got a little emotional when, when asked about the significance of the inter- interception. Um and this is a kid who, you know, didn't play for the biggest high school. He's not used to this kind of crowd. And here he is making a big-time play in a top-ten matchup with the nation watching. I mean, I like you said, it, it was it was a storybook ending. And you've got to be happy for Brantley. He's got, he's got a bright future with Spartans, um, and he's led by some great mentors. Uh, some Travaris Tillman, Harlan yeah. Barnett, you know, those are good guys that yeah. obviously – you want to emulate, but now if everything goes the way that, you know, at least I think it's going to go, Michigan State and Ohio State are on the crash course. Come November 20th, that environment is going to be electric, and that's going to be for the Big Ten East. And I don't think any of us ever thought there was a way in God's blue ball that we would be sitting here on November 4th, Thursday, November 4th at 510 saying that, oh my, if MSU does what they're supposed to do come late November, they're going to have a chance to go to Indianapolis. I mean, yes, we're Michigan State student radio, but sometimes you just have to sit back and just like as a student and just as an independent sort of someone who observes this and look back and go, what is going on right now? Like, when, when is the drop-off coming? Like, when, when is the game where Michigan State plays a game like we thought Michigan State was going to play all year? And but you're two thirds of the way through the year. You're five and zero in conference play. Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan State and Ohio State, excuse me, are the only two teams right now that have an undefeated conference record. MSU is the only team in the Big Ten right now that has a perfect record on the season. So, I mean, I, I keep wondering where the drop off is going to be. But perhaps there's going to be no drop off 
whatsoever. But also big thanks to Paulette Martis, the Michigan State Athletic Communications coordinator. We get up to the press box, and I, being the dingus that I am, of course, forgot our meal ticket. So Paulette came in through the clutch, and it, so Aiden, Aiden had the opportunity to forgive me because he was able to get his pretzel and his hot dog. And I was like, oh, man, I, I dropped the ball with this one. But oh, well. we're on to Purdue. Um, Michigan State will take on the 5-3 and three Purdue Boiler, the 5-3 and three Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday at 3.30. Good opportunity to beat a team with a winning record on the road. As of this point, Michigan State has not done that yet. This year, we will be staying at the lovely four-star Prestige Inn. I looked at it, and I hope we are still alive this time next week. It looks like a terrifyingly wonderful little hotel. And before we get into more of the MSU Michigan talk, we have to break down the game at least a little bit because it's so important. And, you know, this is the first time we've really had the opportunity to talk about it since the game ended last team who undersold Purdue was Iowa and Iowa lost at home 24 to seven. That was after Iowa's momentous comeback against Penn state. So you do need to be careful because this is a good Purdue Boilermaker ball club, but just checking into the Michigan state, Michigan game a little bit more, obviously Spartans knock off the previously number six Wolverines now number nine, 37 to 33. Peyton Thorne goes 19 of 30 with two interceptions it is now two games in a row where he's thrown multiple picks. He's thrown one touchdown to four picks over the past two games. If you would have told me, Aiden, and this is what amazes me, like when I look at this is almost like the Nebraska game where you allow 500 some odd yards of total offense. I know you didn't allow that against Nebraska, but where you just get like outgained in every meaningful category time of possession, first downs, third downs, you know, all the important metrics. If you would have told me that Michigan State's not going to get a sack, MSU is going to allow 552 yards of total offense. Cade McNamara is going to go 28 of 44 for 383 yards. The Spartans are going to lose the time of possession battle by almost 10 minutes. Wouldn't think they would have won. But here we are again talking uh, today about how you look at the box score and you're like, wait, what? How? Where are we? Like, you did it after Nebraska. We did it after Indiana. And now here I am doing it after Michigan because... Let's be real. That that was a game Michigan State stole. Yeah, it was. And it just speaks all more to Michigan State. I mean, they're getting the best from every team that they're beating. And they just got the best from the number six team in the nation. And the fact that they were able to not only, you know, win despite losing losing the uh, the battle in nearly every category of the game, but I mean, the fact that they came back from down 16 in the second half, it just – this this was a big-time win for a lot of – a lot more reasons than just for the rivalry. Well, and you had recruits there. You had Keontae Goodwin, the yeah. five-star Kentucky commit, who's an offensive tackle. You had Armani Winfield. You had a lot of different guys, Dylan Tatum, Alex Van Sumer, and some recent four-star commits – this was one of their first times. It might have been their first time that they've been able to watch a game from the sidelines. You know, you can obviously take the unofficial and official visits depending on certain NCAA regulations, but, you know, that's just you're touring the locker room, you're touring the campers, you don't have 80,000 fans bearing down on top of you. But, is, and I have to attribute this quote, as all journalists do, to we attribute things that we are stealing, for lack of a better term, 
it was my buddy Zach Serdnick and our, our obviously our good friend and our third member of the beat after MSU beat Indiana. He goes in two weeks. Mel Tucker's gonna have a chance to say he's not coming. He's here, and Mel Tucker's arrived. I I don't think there's any other way that you can say it now. Michigan State now eight zero. That was a program building win. Every criticism that you had against you, and this is the biggest thing for me, is God now. Well, you haven't beat a team with a winning record. Well, you really haven't beat a top 25 team. Well, you haven't beat a team in a high-stakes environment. Well, you haven't beat a, a team when the pressure's on you. I know that was a home game, but for anyone that was in attendance in the first quarter when U of M jumped out to that 10 to nothing lead, and then in the third quarter when U of M comes out, scores a touchdown, makes the lead 30 to 14, crowd was definitely silent. The home field advantage had been completely nullified. And you found a way to create, as Mel Tucker would say, you found a way to create your own energy, to be your own best hype man. And Michigan State, you look up and it's midway through the fourth. And it's like, oh, wow, it's a 30 to 30 game. Yeah, what's going on? But uh, yeah, no, it was just a game that, you know, I'm really, really. I think Michigan State's happy, you know, you needed to win that game. You needed to prove that you could win those things in an environment. You needed to prove that, you know, in when, when the chips are down, you can do what needs to be done. And not just for recruiting, not just for in-state bragging rights, but Mel Tucker's been here a year and a half and is now 2-0 against Jim Harbaugh. Like, that to me is the most damning stat. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what Mel Tucker's doing, and... Yeah, I don't want to uh, get in too much to the other side uh, talking about Harbaugh, but boy, is his back up against the wall. And you got to – I'm wondering, I mean, is this season, is, is an Ohio State, a victory against Ohio State, the only thing that keeps him in Ann Arbor? I don't know. I mean, and I'm don't. we're not going to spend too much time speculating because that's what every Michigan radio station – you know, that's connected with the university in some way, shape, or form is done. You know, 97-1's gone over it. Um, but it, it's definitely an interesting debate. But I think the bigger thing is, you know, this wasn't a game that Michigan lost, per se, as I, I would also say Michigan State won. Michigan came into this game only averaging, uh, only giving up 14 points a game, excuse me. And Kenneth Walker goes for 170, 197 yards and five rushing touchdowns. You do it without Jalen Naylor. Jaden Reed, who looked like he had a case of the yips at least early on, just by the way he was catching the ball, and now he missed that slant on the early third and short conversion in the first half. You did it without Jalen Naylor, who has been inconsistent at times this year, especially you know against Northwestern. He didn't have a big game, didn't have a big game against Youngstown State, didn't, did some nice things against Nebraska, but still, Four catches, 75 yards in a quarter and a half, basically, of football. That's a big, big loss if Michigan State has to go without him for a little bit. It looked like he, and again, you know, this is just my independent observation. This isn't some, you know, sp supposed to be meant anything more than that. But we did see him from our our vantage point. He had, like, a wrap around his hand and then, like, even more padding by his, I think it was his middle finger and his index finger. But a couple of his fingers looked like, they were tied up pretty well. So, you know, that's definitely something that 
you know, other Michigan State guys have struggled with this year. Jacob Slade's had some hand issues. Angelo Gross has had some hand issues. That's something, if you're a wide receiver, though, that's like the worst spot to be hurt, obviously, other than like something with your hamstring or with your Achilles. Yeah, well, that's where their depth is going to come into play. I mean, they've got, we've talked about all season, the number of weapons that they have, and they're going to have to turn to some other guys who have been making plays, but are going to be more than just difference makers on two to three plays a game. Um, and I'm, I'm mostly alluding to Trey Mosley, who's been great this season, but kind of waiting for him to step into that role uh, where he's kind of the uh, second go-to receiver next to Reed. Now that uh, now that Naylor will be out, I'll say Trey Mosley didn't have a catch against Michigan. He's had some nice games. I think about Miami where he had that big sort of spark plug play with the fifty-one yard. That was all the sort of a bubble screen that you know was really helped to inject a little bit of life into what had been a stagnant Michigan State offense up to that point. Spartans were down seventy-three. If Memory serves, boy, September 18th feels like a long ago, but not just that. You're going to see more Montori Foster. You're going to see yeah. more probably Keon Coleman, Christian Fitzpatrick. That's why it's hard to sort of figure out where the Spartans go from here receiving core-wise because it's been Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, Trey Mosley, and then, like, you can basically put Terry Lockett and, you know, Montori, as we just mentioned, Keon, who we just mentioned. Cade McDonald factors into that equation, so... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how Jay Johnson plans around that if there's an extended absence for Naylor. But either way, you know, I think he was hurt on that fourth and one play. Can we just talk about how gutsy that play was? Yeah. Fourth and one, Michigan in Michigan territory. Everybody, including myself, thinks they're going to give it to Kenneth Walker off right tackle. And instead of running it right into the teeth of the Michigan defense, play action, throw over the top. Defense bites so hard inside, and, you know, props to Daxon Hill for even finding a way to drag down Speedy Naylor, but that was massive. And then, obviously, Kenneth Walker, a couple plays later, runs it in to give the Spartans the narrow 14-13 to lead. Then Michigan, you know, of course, scores 17 unanswered. So just a crazy, crazy game. Run defense was exceptional. Neither Blake Cormer or Son Haskins got to 60 rushing yards. Michigan rushes for uh, only 146 as a team. But we got to mention Andrew Anthony. I mean, I I, I don't think you can you, you can't do justice, you know, just above what we're saying based on what he did on Saturday. The two long touch or the well, I guess one of them was a long touchdown that ninety three yard crossing pattern across the middle, and he just outran Angelo Gross, he outran Xavier Henderson, and then he sort of mossed Chester Kimbrell to extend the Wolverine lead. This is a guy who didn't have a catch before this game and they displayed him a little bit as sort of a I don't know like a gadget player against Northwestern the week before I was shocked absolutely shocked to see him do what he did yeah he definitely he had himself a uh, day and you know Michigan came into this game and they knew everybody knew that they were not going to be able to rely too heavily on the ground game as they've done all season um and, you know, I I never would have really imagined that uh, McNamara would have thrown for 383 passing yards. But, I mean, obviously Michigan State doesn't have the greatest passing defense, but and I was going to get into that more 
uh, in a little bit when we talk about Purdue. But, yeah, heck of a day for Anthony. Just overall a great day for Michigan and, uh, uh, in terms of its passing game. Um, but uh, they, they definitely exposed Michigan State in that area as, um, as I had kind of anticipated them to. Um, but, of course, Michigan State came up big and on the plays that they needed to. As a <clears throat> sorry, I got a little bit of a cold, a little bit uh, under the weather. I think you know it's that cold and flu season that you know is just kind of going around. As a team, however, at the end of the day, the Spartans put up thirty-seven points against a team that was allowing fourteen going into the game. That was the second best mark in all of FBS. Still, the fact, and you alluded to it, the fact that Cade McNamara threw for nearly four hundred yards when he's really only had to do check down stuff, when he's really had to do, you know, basic game manager stuff up to this point in the year, dumping it off to Blake Horn, dumping it down to Hassan Haskins in the flat, you know, getting Cornelius Johnson on some of those curl outs, just easy high leverage stuff. He was fitting balls into places, especially like they got Eric all on that seam route a couple times, like right between Cal Holiday and Xavier Henderson and Angelo Gross, just depending on what side of the formation he was on. That worries me. And it worries me, and, you know, we'll talk about this when we talk about Purdue. That's all Purdue does. They don't run the ball at all. The one, one specific statistic that I found while doing my pre-prep, the, the, every team in the Big Ten is averaging over 100 rushing yards a game. The second-to-last team is Iowa, who's averaging 105. Purdue's at 79. There's a 25-yard difference between Purdue and everybody else. So what Purdue does well, to an extent, goes directly into what the Spartans do not do well. That being said, McNamara was making throws with pressure in his face time and time and time and time again. No, MSU doesn't get home for a sack, but there were countless, countless plays where he gets the ball, he gets rid of the ball a split second later than he originally did. He's going to get belted. And I'm thinking, you know, especially that Justin White blitz on, was it like, third and four or something and he comes off the edge and just clocks yeah. him like a you know McNair gets rid of the ball but he got hit so hard that it completely destroyed the play before it even had a chance to succeed that play was huge i and, mean there were a number of huge plays down the stretch but that they convert on that and they got the momentum yeah. in the fourth quarter well, and then even the, you know, like fourth and four play and then the fade over to Jaden Reed that lands at the two-yard line. Kenneth Walker runs it in the next play to give the Spartans, you know, the 30-20 to 20 deficit. Then you have the two-pointer to Trey Mosley, and then, you know, everything kind of racks and rolls from there. But, you know, before we transition a little bit more into Purdue and we look at, you know, Michigan State's larger season projections, I think that was Kenneth Walker's Heisman moment. He's now over 1,200 yards rushing. He's now gotten 14 rushing touchdowns. Like, he's in the top two or three of every single category that you need to be in from a running back to have a shot. And he's lucky because this year there's just not it's, – it's traditionally a quarterback's award, but there's just not a lot of talent, frankly. I mean, you don't have – yet Spencer Rattler, who everybody liked, including myself, he's not even starting anymore. You know, you could say Matt Corral, but I – I don't know. It just seems like a down year, and I think that benefits him. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the, the Heisman talk for Walker really came up. Do you remember what exact what game exactly it was when that first uh, 
was a conversation. Was that? Uh, you mean the first play he ran from scrimmage for a touchdown? No, or? no, no. A uh, uh, few weeks ago, what game was it when the Heisman talk really started for Walker? Oh, uh, boy. Probably against Rockers, I would say. Because he had that 94-yard rushing oh, touchdown. That's what it he, was, yep. And yep, he ran for, was. and he was dapping up Jalen Naylor. That's when everything really, because he didn't do much. He did some, but not, not a ton against Western Kentucky and didn't do much at nothing against Nebraska. Right. He had 61 rushing yards. So. And so then against Indiana, you know, it, the, the talk kind of. He got stonewalled, yeah. Yeah, the talk went quiet for a little bit. And then here he is on the biggest stage in the country, the biggest game of the weekend in any athletic event. And he just shows out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, he's he's my clear Heisman favorite as of right now. And, uh, you know, that's it's definitely um, something to be on the lookout for. I know, obviously, every single Michigan State football fan is, um, you know, that's that's all anybody can talk about is Kenneth Walker. And he sure has, in just his first year here, and maybe his only year, he's, <laughs> I mean, he's already a legend. It's insane what he's doing. Yeah, no, and it absolutely is. And, you know, before we get um, too far down the rabbit hole here, I put this question in all bold because I think you have to start asking the question, can Michigan State go the distance? You're two-thirds of the way through the year, and Maryland in two weeks at home looks like a very winnable game. Penn State gave everything they had against Ohio State, still lost. I personally think you're probably going to see them crumble. Sean Clifford's fought through so much just to get back for that if you're gonna have any chance of doing anything in the east you had to win that game you already have two conference losses now you're at two and three in the east so is maryland you know you're right there alongside maryland and just above the Rutgers and indiana tier the only game and you know purdue and again we'll talk about this purdue scares me a little bit the only game that, you know, I think MSU is not going to be the odds-on favorite in is in Columbus in two weeks because I know MSU's three right now, Ohio State's five, but they have a shot to go the distance, and I think you can start asking about it because, again, you're only four flipping weeks away, and you win that game in three weeks, you've got the East because by, you know, assuming that MSU takes care of business the next two weeks, I don't see Ohio State tripping up against Nebraska and Purdue even though they are going down to Lincoln. I I don't know, man, man, you know, maybe I'm off on my own little planet right here, but I can see MSU winning that game. Do I think it's going to be hard? Do I think it's going to be difficult? Absolutely. Do I think that, you know, if McNamara is given that much time, uh, you know, Travion Henderson's going to have a big game, C.J. Stroud and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave could eat up that Michigan State secondary. But there's the magic element to this team. There's the magic Cinderella element that we fall in love with. You know, I think of Loyola Chicago several years back, and, you know, it's like, oh, they're going to lose this game. Yeah, they're kind of cute. And then before you know it, you wake up and they're in the Final Four. It's like, no, they're a legitimate national title contender. So I don't know. I, I think you have to start thinking about it. You definitely do. I mean, they're 8 0, and they're right now they're leading the East. But the thing is, frankly, I think. You know, obviously this season, it's it's been a crazy season for the Big Ten Conference altogether. And we've seen a number of wild outcomes with some of these games. But, you know, frankly, Ohio State's, they're, they're, it's them and everybody else. It still is that way, even though 
um, Michigan State was uh, able to move ahead of them in the in the college football playoff ranking, the first release on Tuesday night. Um, I think I don't know. I think if Michigan State is to win the East, they simply need to win out. I mean, not simply because it's far from simple, but Ohio State. I, you know, I don't see them losing to anybody else. And I, it really is going to come down to the, that game so long as Michigan State wins um, all these other games that uh, they're standing in the way. But, yeah, I I think that's that will be the only thing that secures it, honestly, is for Michigan State to win out. Well, and I think – you know, you, you don't necessarily, I would say, have to, because the only scenario where this comes is those two teams win their two. They meet up on the 20th. MSU's 10 and all. Ohio State's 9 and 1. MSU wins that game. They can lose to Penn State the week after and still go to Indy just because you'd have the one game lead going into the Penn State game and you'd have the head to head tiebreaker. So that's not a must win game. But this is my other question. If, you know, what happens if. You know, MSU wins the next three games, but loses to Ohio State. Where are they in the college football playoff ranking? I mean, that's a, obviously the committee doesn't value Oklahoma high at all. Cincinnati's one loss away from just being completely demolished off the map. I don't think MSU would get in, but I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility, depending on how some other things shake out. You know, Alabama has another loss. They're done. You know, if they lose, they could run the table, but if they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, you know, two losses kind of does you in. That's kind of the base water mark. If the Spartans are 11-1, and one, you know, even if they're not going to Indy, I think they'll still be there. I don't necessarily think we'll get in, but I do have them, you know, obviously in the top 10. But transitioning away from that, believe it or not, there's actually other college football <laughs> on, on October 30th. Maryland beats Indiana 38-35. to it is shocking to me that Indiana was ranked at the beginning of the year because I know losing Michael Penix hurts. I know having Michael McFadden. Now, they've had a lot of injuries. DJ Matthews Jr. that they've struggled with, but they've just kind of wilted and died. I mean, there's been very little oomph, I guess, and losing to Maryland. I know it's on the road, but it's like, what are we doing? I mean, Maryland's not a good football team. Like, and I'll, I'll save that for next week, but Maryland is just – Got absolutely run off the field by Ohio State. I mean, just any time it seems Maryland plays a half-decent football team, they sort of wilt and crumble, especially when it's within conference play. Purdue beats Nebraska on the road 28-23. Wisconsin knocks off Iowa 27-7. Hawkeyes still obviously haven't recovered from that 24-7 loss to Purdue a couple weeks back. They were number two at the time. Lost at home to Purdue by three scores because David Bell went absolutely unconscious, a la Ricky White, against U of M that year. Yes, I had to get that bid in. Minnesota beats Northwestern 41-14. to And all of a sudden, the Golden Gophers are leading the Big Ten West without leading rusher Muhammad Ibrahim, without Trey Potts. They just had another contributing running back sustain a leg injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the year. So they're down, down to the walk-ons and the... The water guys, Rutgers beats Indy, Illinois, excuse me, 22-14, the Scarlet Knights' first conference win of the season. Now we get into my favorite section of the week, the SRZ Offensive, Defensive, and Memorial Powerhouse Frames of the Week selections. And this time I actually did what I was supposed to, 
And I went back and looked at like famous Purdue football alums. I completely forgot Carl Orton went to Purdue because uh, before today I didn't. I guess you can't forget about something if you don't know about it. I forgot Kyle Orton was <laughs> at Purdue. But for the SRZ, Kyle Orton, Offensive Player of the Week, I'm going with Eastern Michigan coach Chris Creighton because not sure if you caught any of the football game on Tuesday night against Toledo. They won 52-49, to and they're not 6-3. and And for the fourth time in five years, Eastern Michigan is bowl eligible and will be going bowling if you don't count the 2020 COVID year, which, you know, I think for especially a lot of Power 5 schools is – kind of a write-off, um, or a group of five schools, for a school that had been to, boy, what, three bowl games the previous 40 years, it's a big accomplishment. I mean, it's somewhat like my father went to Eastern Michigan. I grew up in the area. Like Luke, like Luke's and got even more, you know, his dad went to Eastern Michigan. Well, I went to a couple of those games as a kid, or like when I moved up here, you know, if you want like cheap football tickets, you know, my, my cousin went to Eastern Michigan for a while and was able to get me in for free. It was just depressing to watch. I mean, every year it's like, what are we doing? It's like, you know, they're the Kansas of the group of five schools. And now they're a solid six, seven win bunch. And at a school like that, you will take six to seven wins every year, especially when one or two of those games you have to write off because you're going to, like they did this year when you're going to Wisconsin and Camp Randall just for the buyout money, you know, just for the payout money. So big props to Chris Creighton. The Eastern Michigan Eagles will be going bowling once again. Well, you know, as original as I tried to be, I I couldn't help but pick. Uh, you know this guy, Kenneth Walker? You ever heard of him? That's my offensive player of the week. Uh, I, uh, I talked about his accomplishments this season uh, a little bit ago, but, man, I'm, he's he's having himself heck of a year. He just had what was his Heisman game and and, and – Arguably the greatest game so far uh, in this college football season. <laughs> For the SRZ, Kevin Sumlin. Yes, that is former Texas A&M coach Kevin Sumlin. Played at Purdue from 83 to 86 as a linebacker. The SRZ, Kevin Sumlin, defensive player of the week. I'm going with Charles Brantley. Just because the interception, I thought, was the end to a long string of good play during that game. The amount of open field tackles that he had, like hard open field tackles, he needs some coaching because he's raw and frankly he he's skinny. He's you know maybe one seventy, maybe a buck seventy, maybe a buck seventy five. Um, he was out there trying to kill people. Like he gutted Eric all in the flat a couple times. Open field tackle, bringing down a guy six inches taller, sixty pounds more. So that interception wasn't. You know, the first flashy play he had made all game. They needed a physicality element. They needed that, you know, pit bull Rottweiler element that you weren't getting from Chester Kimbrough and that you weren't getting from Marquis Lowry in spurts. It was really Ronald Williams and then, you know, the band of misfit toys, so to speak, you know, with the way Andrew Anthony and Eric All were sort of gashing the Michigan State back full. So that was just a fitting end and what a way for your first career interception. Yeah. Brantley's he's gonna be a fan favorite in years to come. Yeah, he's he's not the biggest guy on the field, but he's one of the hardest hitters on the team. Looks to get his. He's he carries that underdog mentality with him. Just a guy you'd love to have on your team. Um, so yeah, it's good. that's a great pick. Um, my uh, my pick is uh, Georgia's Nolan Smith, who. 
um, was big for Georgia in their win against Florida over the weekend. Um, had an interception and forced a fumble. He's been great all year. And, man, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but this Georgia defense is terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. You got like five guys out of the seven that will be playing on Sundays here in the next couple of years. For the SOZ Joey LS Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week, I went with the Spartan defense is held because you know how like like you go back and maybe this is just me, but every like there's like 25 years of like Joe Buck World Series calls that you can listen to. And as soon as Brantley made that interception, I just started screaming, the Spartan defense is held. The Spartan defense is held. Michigan State's going to just like, and I feel bad because the board up at the time, Will Long goes, you just completely blew out my ears. And like, I get a text message like from him like four hours later, ears still ringing. I'm like, <laughs> oh boy. I'm like, that's a tough, that's a tough angle. Sorry, Will. Um, But. I just, the last, like, five minutes I went back and listened to the broadcast, I'm like, holy crud, I am on a completely different abyssal plane right now. Like, you can, the objectivity and the, I mean, it was still there, but there was definitely a little bit more vigor in my voice than there had been earlier in the game. I remember one thing specifically, I see Jim Harbaugh screaming on the sidelines with about four minutes to go, and Zach says something, and I'm like, oh, Jim Harbaugh is arguing with the linesman. What else is new? And I get, and they get slaps me because I was being a bad boy on the air. But, you know, the last, like, five minutes, I kind of transitioned over from doing what I normally try to do and be as much of an objective radio host as I can and do a little bit more of the other student radio territory because, honestly, how could you help it? With the emotion and with the crowd and with us being right freaking out there on the photo deck, right above the Michigan student section, it was a jarring experience yeah i uh i felt that in the press box and i i don't think it was just you i there were a number of uh beat reporters um in the press box who uh, you could just nobody was going crazy obviously everybody was professional but you could definitely feel that there was an emotional investment um among everybody in that room um Unless you were there and you just didn't care about either team at all, but uh, <laughs> my uh, I'm coming up with this on the spot. My powerhouse, uh, you know, the week. I'm gonna say the Atlanta Braves. I know there's a football show, but um, you know they won World Series this week and first World Series since 1995. Just about everybody in America was rooting for them. Uh, Got to tip my hat to the Braves. They had a great season, came in as the underdog. Um, it was like 188 games. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, big-time stuff from them. Um, as a as a Tigers fan, I'm I'm pretty envious. Ducker Barnard season, though. Yeah. I mean, we're El Avila getting the ship rocking here <laughs> early and often as the offseason just begins. This week in the Big Ten, Illinois travels to number 20, Minnesota, Number five, Ohio State travels to Nebraska, Penn State, heads out to Maryland. Number 21, Wisconsin, heads out to Rutgers. Number 22, Iowa travels to Northwestern. Indiana down to their third string quarterback travels to number seven, Michigan. And Michigan State travels to Purdue. And we get into talking about the Purdue Boilermakers, the five and three overall on the season, three and two in conference play. When you scout Purdue, you see a lot of things. 
You see a team that turns over the ball a lot, Aiden O'Connell, who's now gotten the lion's share of the quarterback reps earlier from Jack Plummer. Nine touchdowns, eight picks on the season. Had three interceptions against Wisconsin. Still, they throw the ball. That's literally what Purdue does. They do slants, they do checkdowns. It's more of a West Coast air raid offense. It's less and less of a pro-style offense that Michigan State runs. They're the only conference team that averages less than 100 rushing yards a game. But they're third in the conference as they average over 300 passing yards a game. Here's the one stat for me. And I think this is, you know, going to determine how close this game is or, you know, whether this is going to determine whether Michigan State's running away comfortably in the third quarter or whether it's five minutes left and all of a sudden you look up and it's a tie game. Purdue's given up 23 sacks on the season. That is the worst mark in the Big Ten. They're... Three, they have three starters on that offensive line that are only sophomores, and only one of them started last year. So there's some inexperience. They're still gelling. They've dealt with injuries at various key position groups. But for some reason, and this is just something that I think when you hear the term, you rise based on the level of competition and you fall based on your level of competition, that's Purdue to a T. Like, you're talking about a team that beat Illinois 13-9. to put up 13 points against Illinois, and uh, Illinois is not a defensive powerhouse. But you're also talking about a team that ran Iowa off the mat when Iowa was still alive, who in 2018 beat number two Ohio State 49-20, to despite going 6-6 six and six in the regular season. Purdue has nine wins over top two teams in history as an unranked team, and 16 school victories when they are playing a team in the top five and they're not ranked. Both marks are the best in, in Division One, And it's terrifying because this team, for some weird, unforsakable reason, like if you're like Nebraska or, per, you know, like they were neck and neck with Purdue that entire game. The fact that Purdue only won by five despite forcing four Adrian Martinez interceptions is a little dicey. So there's nothing Purdue does particularly well, at least not that I've seen, but nothing that they're, they're just... They are who they are. Like, if you have, like, three different tiers of the Big Ten, you know, obviously, tier one's probably MSU, OSU. You probably throw Michigan in there. Maybe Minnesota. You know, tier two is probably Penn State. Purdue would be in there. Wisconsin. Purdue just is what it is at this point. It's a very mediocre football program, a program that, you know, just has struggled to kind of get off the mat. Jeff Brom hasn't been to a bowl game since his second year. Purdue looks like they probably will get to a bowl game. They have some winnable games left on their slate. But when you look at how Michigan State's done on the road this year, two Spartans, 4-0 on the road, three of those four road wins have come by at least 17 points. Obviously, the one exception was that 20-15 win over Indiana. This game scares me, though, Aiden. Like, I don't know about you, but like I'm kind of floating on the razor's edge a little bit with this one because I could – see this one going south really quickly. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people feel that way. Um, and, you know, even even Mel brought it up on Mondays with Mel that he's been hearing the phrase trap game thrown around and he doesn't buy into any of that. And, you know, I think what this team does, this Michigan State team does so great is um, I think – their preparation is one of their biggest strengths. And, you know, it can be thought of as cliche because you got to be prepared to win games. But, man, 
does Mel have these guys ready week after week for um, for what they're going to face from their opponent? Every player was locked in. Um, I I'm not discouraged. I know you know everybody knows Purdue's resume, what they're able to do, um, and that they're they're a dangerous team when it comes to playing top ten teams. But you know it's also hard to dissect their record. Um, lost to Minnesota in their homecoming game for whatever reason. Um, as we kind of talked about earlier, Minnesota's leading the West um, at this Yeah, moment. it's just a war of attrition <laughs> over on the other side of the... Um, I, but I don't think I'll be able to get over the fact that's still the team that lost to Bowling Green um, and barely beat Miami of Ohio. And But this Purdue team, they're also soundly beat by Wisconsin, who's also a decent team. But in that game, Purdue had negative 13 rushing yards. Um, and then Purdue beats a pretty tough Nebraska team. So they're all over the board. Um, it is it is difficult to kind of gauge what you're going to get from this team. But I do think that's that's big um, in terms of the uh, the sacks they're allowing per game because you know that's one of this Michigan State team's biggest strengths is is its uh, interior defensive lineman and uh, its edge rushers. Well, it, the the biggest thing for me, and this is where Kenneth Walker's got to be listed, uh, got to be licking his chops in that game where you just mentioned Wisconsin beating Purdue a couple weeks back, thirty to thirteen. Wisconsin ran for almost three hundred yards as a team, fifty-one carries, two hundred ninety yards, three rushing touchdowns as a team. Chaz Malusi leads the way, twenty-one carries, one hundred forty-nine yards. Bray, Braylon Allen, twenty or twelve carries, excuse me, one hundred forty yards, two scores. Anytime you have two rushers with over one hundred forty yards you're going to be in pretty good shape and what i'm about to mention i think is going to resonate with a lot of older fan, a lot of older spartan fans a little bit more than it will with fans of our generation google 1999 michigan state at purdue on october 16th spartans were 5 and 0 knock off number 3 michigan in east lansing 34 to 31 this was nick saban's last year go down to west lafayette the next game lose 52 to 28 and Drew Brees goes nuts. And then that transitions it over to a 40 to 10 loss to number 16 Wisconsin and you know MSU finishes that year with four consecutive wins, but that stretch was the difference between competing for a Rose Bowl and going to a Citrus Bowl. And at the end of the day, this just at least for me from like a statistics aspect, from a resume building aspect, from an FPI aspect, you know, all the the only stats that I like, you know, other because I hate math in general, um, you haven't beaten a team with a winning road record all year. And when the committee looks, they love road wins. It's the same thing when they're building the committee for March Madness and you have to get the top 64 teams in. They're, I guess, the top 48 at large and then, um, or 48 at large teams and then 16 auto bids. But. You're not going to get much from beating Northwestern on the road. Northwestern is cratered. You're not going to get much from beating Indiana on the road. Indiana doesn't have a conference win. You're not going to get much from beating Rutgers on the road, whose only conference wins against Illinois. So MSU has four wins. Really the only win that they have this year on the road that you could say is worth anything is Miami. And up until a couple of weeks ago, that wasn't worth much either because Miami was 2-4. and four. Now they've beaten two ranked teams in a row in NC State and Pittsburgh – 
you need another, this isn't, how would I put this? This isn't a signature win, but it would be a good complimentary win. When the, when they're looking at your resume, it's not going to be, oh, their best win of the year was against Purdue. But it will be like third or fourth on that list because this is a team that's probably going to win seven games. This is a team that, again, it doesn't just have a winning record on the year. Overall, they have a winning record in conference. Purdue's the best team MSU's probably played on the road this year with the exception of Miami and may very well be, outside of Ohio State, the best conference road game that MSU's going to have to play all year because they're just such a tricky team to to analyze. And then, I, you know, obviously with Purdue, it starts and ends with David Bell. 53 catches, 786 yards, four scores on the season, All-American caliber wide out. He is a little boomer bust, had two 100-plus yard receiving games early on in the year. 11 catches for 240 yards and a score versus Iowa. That's why Purdue was able to do what to be able to run away from the Hawkeyes. He's a bit inconsistent. He had 11 catches, 74 yards against Nebraska. So not it's kind of it's hit or miss with David Bell a little bit too, but you can go ahead and probably pencil him for 80 or 90 yards. Purdue, when David Bell doesn't do that, very mortal team. They didn't have David Bell against Illinois, which I should mention, and, you know, you beat Illinois 13-9. So, at the end of the day, Aiden O'Connell, as we've talked about, is a turnover machine, and I'm of the belief that if you have two good quarterbacks that you're rotating in, you probably have none, and you're going to see some Jack Plummer, who has seven touchdowns, no picks, had some really impressive performances early on against Oregon State, against UConn, and those early Purdue football victories. It's a winnable game. It's a tricky game. And I know people use the term trap game. And I, I don't think this is a trap game for the sole aspect. I think Purdue's too good for it to be a trap game. I look at a trap game like you did against Indiana, where you don't have a conference, a team that's like sneaky but hasn't won anything. Purdue's won some stuff. You know, Purdue, they, they're the epitome of a team that's going to beat who they're supposed to beat. More often than not, they might steal one or two, and then they're going to lose to teams right above them. Like when I, you know, when you look at the East, it's, you know, we've talked about the East a lot in this podcast, but like from the Big Ten West perspective, Minnesota, you have Minnesota and Wisconsin, I think are the two best teams. Purdue's probably is third, excuse me, so they're not quite on the same level as Minnesota or Wisconsin, at least right now based on how they're playing, but they're better than Northwestern, they're better than Illinois, and they're better than Nebraska. So they're kind of just right there in the middle, too good to look over, but not necessarily good enough to to give you much of an issue if you go out and do what you're supposed to do. But the bottom line is, from here on out, everybody's telling you how sweet you are if you're Michigan State. You're 3-0, and or you're 3-in the college football playoff ranking. And if the season ended today, you'd be going bowling for a chance at the national championship. One screw-up, and everything goes down the drain. And then you have to win at Ohio State, And, you know, this is more than just about the college football playoff because you lose this game, you lose to Ohio State, depending on what Michigan does, they can still get the Rose Bowl bid. And you can't if you're 10-2. and You go 11-1, and you will go to the Rose Bowl. And not too sure, but I don't think the the granddaddy of them all is a bad consolation prize. So this is winning time now for Michigan State. It's really been winning time ever since. Western Kentucky and ever since Nebraska when they get to 5-0. and You know, these last three weeks, MSU's found a way to win it. It hasn't always been pretty. It sure as heck wasn't pretty at times against U of M. It wasn't pretty against 
Indiana, you know, Jack Tuttle trots out for his third start ever, his first start of the year in MSU in an ugly, ugly game, wins 20-15, to 15, but one thing you're right about, and I give you a lot of credit for this, for mentioning it, every week it seems like they find a way. It's not always pretty, it's not always clean, it's not always a game where you leave feeling like, yup, MSU is better to wire to wire. I, I still think they haven't played a complete game this year, but they've earned, I think, the right now to assume, where you just assume that they're going to get off the mat and find a way. Yeah. Um, that's that's what they've done all year is find ways to win. And, you know, we prior to the Michigan game, we had, I mean, their largest deficit all season was just a touchdown. Um, uh, I'm not, am I wrong about that? Were the, did they ever were they ever down by more than a touchdown before this game? I don't believe so. No, but and here's one for the last uh, the last three games: Rutgers, Indiana, and now Michigan. MSU's not scored first. Earlier in the year, we saw this team so often land the first blow. Before you know it, they're up by double digits against Northwestern. You know, Kenneth Walker rushes for that massive 75-yard touchdown in the first play of the game. Youngstown State, we're not going to count, you know, because it's it's Youngstown State. No offense, Youngstown State, but you're up by almost 30 against Western Kentucky. You control the Nebraska game for the large portions, Go ahead, and going ahead 7 to nothing on the flea flicker from Peyton Thorne to Jaden Reed. We, we've seen them land the first punch, but I think the thing that's most encouraging to me is the last three weeks when Rutgers scores first on the Noah Vedral rushing scorer was Johnny Langan, excuse me, on the Indiana game where, you know, Indiana marches down and, you know, kicks the three points in a game where every point was precious. And then obviously last week with Michigan going ahead 10 to nothing and then being up 30 to 14, not only have they shown the ability to last the first punch, but when they don't land the first punch, they can transition to plan B quite quickly. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things about this team is that week after week, they answer these questions. Like after first few weeks, we are wondering, okay, what does, what does Michigan State do when, uh, when the opponent takes the lead first? And we we saw what happens, and now they they've had to do it pretty often. Um, we wondered, you know, what like you said, what happens when they play a a top ten opponent, and it's just they just don't seem to disappoint in in that regard. Um, and I don't. Again, I think that's just where preparation comes into play. Uh, a lot of people, you know, point out the fact that everything needed to go right for Michigan State at the end of that Michigan game, and it did. Um, but that's not to say that they got lucky. It was preparation, and they practiced every single one of those situations, fourth and short, or and you know, that's that's a big reason why they are where they are. And I, I got to credit Mel Tucker and, um, of course, Jay Johnson for, for the offensive play calling. So at the end of the day, you know, Purdue doesn't run the ball very well. Their defense is good, not great. And it it just um, it feels like a game the Spartans should win. But top down, even without Jalen Naylor, you have enough complimentary pieces. You had a Christian Fitzpatrick th- through the transfer portal. You brought in Keon Coleman. You have Montori Foster, Cade McDonald, guys who have – Looked good in sl- in spots, and they'll, you know, finally get an opportunity to sort of step up because you know Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor have really had a stranglehold on those top two receiving spots all year. 
And we will now transition over into the pick-em. Uh, Zach said he would put his things in, and he didn't do it, so he's on the... Gosh darn it, Zach. We're going to put him in the naughty... We're going to put him in the naughty house, and you know what I'm going to do? Because he's here, and I'm not... If he doesn't have him by Saturday morning, I'm going to charge him with seven losses. Because he didn't do it. And then I can be in the lead again by sabotage, but technically I'll just say it's like seven forfeits. All right, here we go. Illinois, 14 and a half point underdogs as they head out to Minnesota. Mr. Aiden Champion, who do you got? Um, Give me Illinois to cover. Um, I just, you know, Minnesota's had success lately. Um, obviously they're, they're leading the big 10 West right now, but I just, I feel like this has to come to a halt at some point. And I feel like this game's going to be, um, a lot closer than people are anticipating. I, Illinois is just a weird football team. Yeah. I mean, they, they can make it close. They don't win a lot of games. I mean, but Brett Bielema has had a couple of, I mean, that Penn state win was absolutely massive. You know, it, it, it almost reminds me of like Mel beating, Northwestern last year where it's like it's just a sea of crap but you found a way at least for one day to maybe get the vultures off your back at least a little bit I don't know I've gone back and forth with this Illinois comes into this game three and six Minnesota leading the west but again you know Illinois has also beaten Nebraska the first week of the year but I'm gonna go with Minnesota I think they have too much to play for right now I like what PJ Flex doing down in Minneapolis I don't trust Brett Bielema I mean, it's just so hard when you go from, okay, you beat a motivated Penn State team to we're losing the Rutgers now. So I'm going to go with Minnesota. Nebraska, 14.5-point underdogs as they host Ohio State. I will go first, and I'm going with the Huskers to cover, not to win. It's a lot of points, and the one thing you can – there's a lot of things you can count on with Nebraska football. Winning is not one of them. But you can count on them making it close. They lose every game between five and ten points. You lost to Michigan thirty-two to twenty-nine. You lost to MSU twenty-three to twenty in overtime. You lost to Purdue twenty-eight to twenty-three. So they're too good. They do just enough not to get blown out, but not enough to actually win the game. This is a tough game in Lincoln. Scott Frost is coaching for his job. They're already at six losses. You lose this game, your bull hopes are officially done. So. Everything in the kitchen sink is going to be thrown toward Ryan Day, toward the Buckeyes in this game. And like you said, when you're Ohio State, at this point of the year, you know you're getting everybody's best because everybody's not even fighting for you know a Big Ten title, but they're fighting just to make a bowl game if you're Maryland, if you're Illinois, if you're Rutgers, if you're Northwestern. I'm going to go with Nebraska here. Yeah, you you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I also have Nebraska covering here. Uh, not to win, obviously, but they uh, they put up a fight against every team and um, I think, uh, despite, uh, dis- despite how far Ohio State is ahead of every other team, just in, in terms of uh, everything in the game of football, I, I think, I think Nebraska still makes it close. There's just been a lot of big lines when I was looking at sports because I'm like, really is this? Oh, I guess it is Wisconsin. 13-point favorites as they travel to Rutgers. Give me the Badgers. Wisconsin's been playing like how Wisconsin normally does, and Rutgers just looks lifeless. There's just, uh, yeah, congrats. You beat Illinois in the battle for last place. I'm still not horribly high on that four-game stretch where 
you lose to Michigan and then you lose to Ohio State by 39 and you lose to MSU by 18 and you lose to Northwestern on the road by 14. I think Wisconsin's going in one direction, Rutgers is going in another, and I think that continues on Saturday. Um, Give me the Scarlet Knights. I think uh, it's late in the season, it's November football, and I, I think they're going to – they're gonna have a nice home crowd, and I think uh, I think that'll give them the edge. I I don't think they will win, but I I do see it being close. Georgia Tech ten and a half point dogs as they travel to the swap to take on Miami. I only put this game in because if MSU is able to knock off Purdue and Miami knocks off Georgia Tech, they'll wake up Sunday morning with two road wins against. Teams with winning records give me the Hurricanes here. I looked at Georgia Tech's what Georgia Tech normally is every year. They're toward the bottom end of the ACC. Miami's beaten. Pittsburgh's beaten NC State in the past two weeks. Manny Diaz seems like he's done something right. Tyler Van Dyke has been a difference maker since Derek King went down. I... I don't know. It just feels like a game that Miami wins. That's a stadium in that climate that's so football-hungry for something good being right between Florida State and Florida. Georgia Tech, I got it pulled up here, 2-4 and four so far in the ACC, only 3-5 and five on the season. So, no, they also lost to Northern Illinois, for those of you who don't remember that game of the Rocky Lombardi Revenge Tour. Give me the Canes. Yeah, uh, give me Miami as well. Coming off two big wins, kind of uh, getting back to uh, back on track late in the season here, and I think uh, they want to continue to build on that. Um, so I think uh, I think Miami covers. Penn State, 10.5-point favorites as they travel to Maryland. Over to you, Mr. Aiden. Um, with, uh, with how Penn State has been performing, uh, no, no, I can't do that. Maryland, <laughs> Maryland's just, oh, they're, they're not. They're not good. Give me Penn State, uh, just for that sole reason. They're but. not good. <laughs> no, that's that's what I've been doing this entire game. But I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going with the Maryland Terrapins. I don't think they win here. I do think they cover. They're, again, they're kind of in that no man's land where they're not completely awful like they've been in years past, and they probably will make, like, the Foster Farms Bowl. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Terrapins, obviously... Five and three on the season with a slate still against Rutgers. My only thing is Maryland needs to make a bowl game to save Mike Loxley's job. I mean, when you look at his record at New Mexico State going two and 21 in two and a half years, I I wonder how he ever got another head coaching job. It's not worked for him down in College Park so far. That's the kind of game where I think you see Penn State. They threw everything in the kitchen sink. They were neck and neck with Ohio State for three quarters in a primetime game on the road, and they still lost by nine. That is a back-breaking loss because any hope you had of making a New Year's Six, any hope you had of contending for a Big East title is gone now. You're at three conference losses. Your head coach has basically said he's on the nearest flight out to USC. You know He's confusing Illinois for Ohio State. I'm not I wouldn't be surprised here if they maybe just shut down Sean Clifford. I mean, they're already, you know, right on the precipice of bowl eligibility. They might actually be bowl eligible. Let me check here. I probably should have. No, they're not five and three alongside Maryland. And Maryland's a sneaky, interesting team at home. So give me the Terrapins. 
to cover next game. The one of the only this is a bad week of college football, I tell you. <laughs> Number thirteen Auburn. Four and a half point dogs as they ta- as they travel down to Texas to take on Texas A and M. And we'll go with you. Um Auburn's no doubt kind of been a disappointment this season, but they I feel like they're kind of finding their stride uh late here. Um I I still think Texas A&M wins, but I I think it'll be a pretty close game. So I got Auburn covering. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of footage from either one of these teams, and I only put this in because it's ranked. But outside of like the Big Ten and like the like the top like ten teams have kind of lost a little bit of something because either one of these teams is going to go to the I don't know what's a big bowl for. The Las Vegas Bull or the GasparillaMotors.com Gatorball. I don't know. Give me A&M's at home. And so what'd you pick, Auburn? Yeah. To cover. Uh, just for the sake of posterity and just for whatever. Unleash. It's it's Jimbo Fisher season. Um, so we're going to do the 12th man. I don't know. You beat Alabama. So I think you can beat anybody, especially when you get up and play. Let me type this into the deck real quick. Uh, and the final game we have on our slate before we sign off for another episode, Michigan State, two and a half point favorites as they travel down to rule Indiana to take on West Lafayette. For those of you who don't know, going through West Lafayette feels like you're going through Nebraska. Like I like driving through Indiana in general's kind of got that feeling, but the weird thing about like, there's a little bit more, if you go 96 South between like Fort Wayne and Indy, there's a little bit of civilization, not a lot. The problem with Purdue is, like, you go on 69, like, right, or, would that be, yeah, that'd be, is that 69 South? That would be 69 South. Down to, like, Fort Wayne, and then you just go left. Like, you don't go toward Indianapolis. You almost go out toward, like, the backwoods of Illinois. Like, it's just nothing. And, like, I remember going to cover the women's game with Luke and Ian Drummond. Uh, you know, that was one of the last women's roads games we did before the pandemic began. And I'm like, wait, when's Lafayette? Oh, the, the GPS says we'll be there in 10 minutes. I see corn. Oh, there's West Lafayette over there. And we're here. Like, that's basically what I'm out. It's just absolutely nothing. You drive through Huntington, Indiana, the forks of the Wabash we'll see tomorrow. I know you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. With that being said, give me the Spartans to win and cover here. I This line, I think, is too small. If it was seven or eight, I might be inclined to take Purdue. This line affords Michigan State the flexibility to play like complete crap for a half and still find a way to win. Like they were, I'm thinking, you know, again, you're awful against Nebraska and you find a way to win by three. This is almost a pick. Um, I think Purdue's better, but I just, you pulled the rabbit out of your hat once. I don't think you can do it again. And frankly, a lot of Purdue's success comes against teams that are number two. Iowa's number two. When they beat Dwayne Haskins in 18, they were number two. Ohio State was. So, you know, thank God Bama's currently occupying that spot, not the Spartans. So maybe the Purdue witchcraft cursed will subsist. I'm going with MSU here. I would, if I had to put a score, I'd maybe say like 24 to 14. I don't think it's going to be a whole lot of scoring, especially. With Big Ten football, I think both teams are, especially MSU, going to try and run and run and run and run and run. Aiden O'Connell, I can see making a couple stupid interceptions because he does that every game. He's good for one or two picks a game. And Purdue's going to have to do something different because as good as David Bell is, 
Outside of him, there's just not a lot. Poor offensive line. I don't think the Spartan defense is not going to get a sack for the second consecutive game in a row. I think you see Jacob Panashuk, Drew Beasley, Jacob Slade, guys who have led Michigan State so far. Um, obviously, you know, Drew Beasley toward the earlier end of that slate against Northwestern and Youngstown State and Nebraska. He's back after missing nearly a month with um, a lower leg injury. I just think it's too much for Purdue to overcome, frankly. I think they're too outgunned in too many areas, and the line's not big enough for me to jump on the Purdue Boilermaker bandwagon hype. Yeah, I uh, I also think this this line's too small. Um, so give me Michigan State to cover here. I think I I just feel like the the offense is going to dominate um, more so on the ground on Saturday, and um, I think. Uh, the D line's gonna put a lot of pressure on O'Connor, and um, I, I don't know. I, I see it. I think twenty four fourteen is fair. Um, but maybe give me one more touchdown for Michigan State. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a very narrow line. Um, despite Purdue's history of upsets. Feels like a while since we've done these pickups. I guess it has been a while. Yeah, because we didn't do one the last time. Yeah, I said we were on the we were on the buy. Currently, through ten weeks, I'm fifteen and twenty. Aiden's fifteen and twenty. Zach is twenty and fifteen. But it's okay because if he doesn't get his stuff in by Saturday afternoon, that's <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. I should have put fifteen games in here. Well, Zach, you forfeit all fifteen or put all thirty. Just take like the entire CUSA docket and paste. All right. Well, you didn't put them in. Thirty game forfeit. You're done. Bye bye. Nice, nice to meet you. Anyway, this has been SRZ, the usual podcast that we normally do for Michigan State football that contains my stupid rantings, Aiden's insightful analysis, and then more of my stupid rantings combined with occasional quality football analysis. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, have a great week, and thank you guys for giving us a listen.